Happy Father's Day and a great encouragement to all of you men who have chosen to invest in the next generation, whether that is building your own family at home, investing in the lives of others, discipling young men who are coming behind you. We are so grateful for the investment you have put into others. Today, we're going to be talking about a biblical role of men and an example that we look towards. We're gonna look at one negative example and then we're gonna look at one incredibly positive example. And even in writing this sermon and reflecting on it today, because every year we try to do a one-off for Mother's Day and a one-off for Father's Day, and in service we do a bunch of fun things around it, and there is a classic pattern in church preaching for Mother's Day and Father's Day. The Mother's Day sermon is almost always incredibly encouraging and loving and building them up. And then the Father's Day sermon is always some version of, dads, you need to kick it up a notch and you're not doing enough and I'm gonna kick you in the butt. That just seems to be the pattern. And if you are a man out there and you're saying to yourself, hey, come on, I could use some encouragement. Give me a little bit of a boost here. I'm gonna try to do that today, but I'm gonna also kick you in the butt a little bit today. We're gonna look at how we can be stepping up into the role of being biblical men, leading and serving and being an example of Christ-like character. And honestly, coming into this today, for many of us when you're watching this video, as I record it in 2021 here in New Jersey, there has been a crisis of masculinity. There's been a real struggle over what it means to be a man. And I don't mean that the traditional view of masculinity is being attacked. I mean, we've learned a lot about the traditional view of masculinity and the damage that it has done. It is gutting to see repeated moral failures in male pastors. In this last year, two of the most influential male pastors in my life had had sexual moral failures. It's tough to think back on what I've learned from these people, the patterns and examples they've set in my life and how that has affected me going forward. We've seen a year of narcissistic politicians and CEOs, almost exclusively men, leading and drawing all of the attention onto themselves, exploiting others and using others for their own advantage. And then we've seen acutely the effect of the loss of fathers, paternal figures for young men, particularly in our ethnic minorities, in black men in our country, as we've seen the product of economic and legal inequalities in what has resulted in generations without male father figures to look to. We've seen the product and the pain of what that has caused. While both genders are made in the image of God and are made to serve alongside one another and to work in the fullness of God's spirit in them, I do believe that there are differences in our genders and cultures and biblical models have shown that there are differences in what it means to be male and what it means to be female. And in the role of men currently, we are struggling with the formation of what it means to be a man at this point in history. Almost every culture other than late modernity, the time we're living in now, there has been a formational process into malehood, into becoming a man. We see today the formational process of becoming a man is disconnected and is wild and is basically the wild west of figuring out on your own. Our young men are formed sexually by the internet. 
Our young men are formed in adrenaline and aggression by video games, indoors. Young men's relational building is done almost exclusively through social media and texting apps. And everything now in growing up and becoming successful is a hack rather than building character. How can I do this quickly? How can I get results fast versus sitting in, being discipled and patiently growing our character? We have seen the results of what we call toxic masculinity or the pattern of what it means to be a man that is destructive and exploitative of others. So much brokenness exists in our world and in the modern world today because of male deformation. Men that haven't been shaped, men that haven't been taught, men that haven't been invested in. How do we build men to have character for human flourishing? How do we build men that exist to serve and to flourish the women in their lives? How do we build men that exist to lay down their power, their authority, and their might to serve those who are weaker, to serve those who are vulnerable? How do we lead men that are built in the image and character of our Savior, Jesus Christ? For many of us men, we are carrying our own brokenness into adulthood. A mid-century theologian said, whatever pain is not transformed, is transferred. And for many of us men, we are growing up with a chip on our shoulders or resentment towards our own fathers or the absence of our father, thinking about our own struggles and not dealing with our weakness, sin, shame, and brokenness. And then we're passing it on to the next generation. Unlike women, men are not encouraged to deal with and be open and broken and vulnerable about who we are. In the Christ-centered model, the God that we serve, I wanna encourage you men to be open about your brokenness, to process your grieving and loss, to invite others into the process of your formation. If we don't deal with our issues of brokenness now, we will pass them on to the next generation. Many of us need to make peace with our fathers or the absence of our father. And many of us need to address what we want to pass on to the next generation. I am of the age where I am seeing my friends and couples around me beginning to have children and asking the question of what am I passing on? What's this responsibility now? I'm of the age where the oldest generation is passing away and we're asking the question of what do I step up into now? Who do I become now. I want to encourage and challenge you with two biblical examples of masculinity. First one as a cautionary tale to learn from and to avoid, and the second as an encouragement and an ideal to aspire to. The first one, the cautionary tale we're going to look at, comes from Judges chapter 14. We're going to talk about Samson, a weak, strong man, a man with great physical strength, charisma, and with a weak character, and will. I'm going to give you a background a bit for Samson. If you are new to this, don't understand or haven't heard many teachings from the Old Testament book of Judges, Judges is a book about the early nation of Israel before they were formalized with an army and with a monarchy and systems of rulership. They were a group of 12 tribes brought together with a shared theology of their God and a shared history of being set free from oppression and all the way back to their ancestor, Abraham. During this early phase, the 12 tribes would be attacked or oppressed by neighboring kingdoms 
And every once in a while, God would raise up a judge, really a warrior leader who would set the people free, who would conquer, who would fight back, who would rally everyone back into unity. As you read the book of Judges, it begins somewhat tame. And as you read the book, it gets crazier and crazier and more toxic and more violent and wild. And by the end of it, there are stories that are some of the most horrifying stories in all of the pages of scripture. Many scholars believe that the story of Samson's life The four chapters that tell his story are the pinnacle or the climax of the story of Judges. And in it, we learn about a man incredibly gifted by God, with God's power and spirit on him, but without the character of how to walk that out and live that out. And we see that destructive model of great aspirations and power without the obedience and discipline and submission to use it for the betterment of the world around. And instead, as Augustine says, to incurvatus me, to turn it inward, to make it about myself. If you were raised in the church, you probably have heard the story of Samson. Samson is a story we teach to kids because it's cinematic. It's like the biblical version of Hercules. Really strong man, long hair. He has dramatic moments. He's prideful and says these crazy boastful statements. And then he follows it up with action. And the end of his life is incredibly dramatic. Samson is also one of the most tragic figures in the Old Testament. A man incredibly gifted with promise and potential who squanders it on his own pride and entitlement and impatience. As an example of this, in one moment, because the wife he abandoned gets remarried out of jealousy, he collects 200 foxes together, ties their tails together, lights them on fire, and releases them into a neighbor's farmland. That's the character of Samson. Let's look at his life from one example in Judges chapter 14, and let's see for the men in our communities what we can learn, and for all of us, an example of character building and a warning of when we don't. Let's begin in Judges chapter 14, verses 1 through 2. One day, when Samson was in Timnah, one of the Philistine women caught his eye. When he returned home, he told his father and mother, a young Philistine woman in Timnah caught my eye. I want to marry her. Go get her for me. Already, if you hear this and you go, what? He sees someone. He says, I want her. He sends his parents just to go get her like he's at a grocery store and requesting her in. The entitlement of him like not even going to get her himself, but being like, hey, go get her for me. The idea of a man seeing a woman with just his eye and being like, that I want. It tells you a little bit of the character of Samson and also the hypersexualized nature of his story. He sees her physically, he wants her. She is from a tribe God does not want his people marrying. She is actually from a people group actively oppressing God's people. And he says, no, nah, I don't care, I want her. No, I don't care about the context. No, I don't care about the community. I don't care about the long-term story. I want her for my own gratification Go get her. This is the first thing we learn from the poor character of Samson. I want it. The personality trait of, I want it, I need it, I'm going to get it right now. It's how I feel, so I'm just going to take it. Samson is a man who, because of his physical strength and the charisma of his personality, was very limited in what he could have. 
Not only does this result in him believing everything is able and good for him, but it leads to him making poor decisions. He chooses things that ultimately lead to his destruction. He chooses this Philistine wife, doesn't work out, ends in disaster. He then doubles down, chooses another Philistine wife later on in his life that then betrays him, where he is then chained up, eyes gouged out, and ultimately killed. His simple mindset of, I want it, I'm going to take it, leads to his destruction. But maybe the more cautionary tale for many of us is a life lived of instant gratification, an expectation to want what we have, grab it quickly, leads to poor character development. Because Samson could always get what he wanted, grabbed what he wanted, he never built the character of what it means to wrestle with his desires, to wrestle with and submit them before the God who called them. We struggle with this so much in the modern age. There is so little that we can't have. And as men historically, even more so, there is so little that I can't grab or have or want or make or take or feel like I deserve it. I see sexual gratification on my smartphone and I'm just going to take it. I see the car I want, the new sneakers I want, the rush from a flirtatious text, and I'm just going to take it. That's my goal. I'm not going to think about the consequences. It makes me feel good now, and I'm going to grab it in this moment. Men, we are traditionally stronger than the other gender. We have been historically favored with advantages and opportunities. History has set us up to be in the driver's seat. And what we have seen is a pattern over pattern of when we are entitled, we use it to hurt, oppress, steal, and manipulate. And we see this in the pattern of Samson. He uses his strength and his power for his own self-interest to hurt and destroy others. Let's look and continue this on. I want to moves to I deserve it. Our desires move to entitlement. Let's see this continue on in Judges chapter 14, verses 8 through 9. Later, when he returned to Timnah for the wedding, he turned off the path to look at the carcass of a lion. Earlier, he had killed that lion. That carcass is from a lion he had ripped apart with his bare hands. A little bit about his strength. He had killed this lion. He's now walking back past it. He sees the dead body. And he found that a swarm of bees had made some honey in the carcass. He scooped some of the honey into his hands, and he ate it along the way. He also gave some to his father and mother, and they ate it. But he didn't tell them he had taken the honey from the carcass of a lion. First off, that's gross, right? But secondly, what's the deal with this story? Why the honey from a dead lion? Why is this important? Why doesn't he tell his parents about where he got it from? Who's just walking up with like a pocket full of honey? And you're like, you want my pocket honey? And they're like, yeah, I'm not going to question where this came from. What's going on with this story? Samson is strong. And we see here a bit of his entitlement. Samson killed this lion himself. Can you do that? Can I do that? No, probably not. Certainly not with my own bare hands. And out of that demonstration of his own strength and might, he walks back and goes, yeah, oh, that dead body, now there's bees in it, there's honey, I'm going to take that. I killed that lion. I can grab this. We miss a little bit of the story that takes some history. If we look back to Numbers chapter 6, it lays out what a Nazarite vow is. Samson is a Nazarite. He's from this family and he's been committed to the Lord. A Nazarite is someone who's not a priest, 
but it's just a common person who takes a holy vow of a spiritual nature. And in a Nazarite vow, it involves three things. Number one, you won't get drunk with wine. You're not going to be a partier. Number two, you won't touch dead things because they make you unclean. And three, you're not going to cut your hair. This is kind of what leads to our vision of Samson, super muscular, long hair. But it's also part of the violation of what he's done here. He's not supposed to touch a dead body, let alone eat something from that dead body. And then he brings it home, doesn't tell his parents that by eating this as well, they're going to become unclean, and he just gives it to them. There's three main vows of being a Nazarite, and in it, he's just flaunting and ignoring as if the rules don't apply to him. The vow he has taken, Samson believes he's beyond it. He's an exception to it. I deserve this because I'm special. I deserve this because I'm more powerful or I've earned it. When asked about it later, he essentially describes his actions by saying, I saw it, the honey looked good, I took it and I ate it. What are you going to do? It looked good, so I took it. Men, when we move into an attitude of I want it and I'm going to take it, it doesn't just come from the fact that we're impatient. It comes from a mentality that must be put to death. This idea of I deserve it. I've earned it. I've worked for it. I've busted myself in order to get there. I deserve this treat. I deserve this indulgence. I deserve this little moment of sin. I deserve this little moment of taking, abusing, manipulating because I'm strong enough and I've earned it. It says in the passage that Samson turned aside. He turned aside from the pathway he was on in order to take what he shouldn't. He turned aside from the character of who he's supposed to be in order to take and become who he's not meant to be. The entitlement in our gender of being a man has historically and in the modern day led to the abuse of women, the oppression of the poor, and the moral failures of more church communities than I can count or have time to discuss in this video. Our entitlement and the little moments that begin with, I deserve this, I'm an exception to this, I've earned this, this needs to be put to death before our God. So I want to, into entitlement, the final piece of this, pride. The pride of Samson. The saying, I can handle it. I can handle it on my own. I can do this in my own strength. Let's look at it. Continuing in the story, Judges chapter 14, verse 10. Now, understanding this is Samson's build up to his wedding. Early passage when he said, I want that, go get her. They did. He's going to get married. As his father was making final arrangements for the marriage, Samson threw a party at Timnah, as was the custom for elite young men. Elite young men, I love that. It, they're elite, they're special. So his father is going to do all the planning. His family is going to start organizing the wedding. And what Samson's going to do is he's going to stay behind at home and throw a party with all of his bros, right? They're going to go get a keg. They're going to have a party. They're going to go line the top shelf. They're going to get their cigars, sit out back. They're going to have a great time. This is what Samson is doing. My family is going to be planning the wedding. They're all going to be discussing the details. I'm going to party up here on my own which is, as we just discussed, a violation of the first of his Nazarite vows again. But in this, he's saying, I don't need to be a part of this. I can handle this on my own. I'm going to do this on my own with my bros. I don't need the family community I'm built in. I don't need the wisdom of the elders I walk alongside. 
I don't need the collective wisdom of the history of what I am a part of. I'm just gonna live in this myself. I'm gonna trust that it's going to work out. Pride is the ultimate downfall of Samson. Opportunity after opportunity for him to take wisdom from others, for him to pull back and humble himself, he does not take. And chapter after chapter of his story, we see him in his own pride say, I can handle this on my own. I can figure this out. I can strength my way through it. I know in the, in the most desperate moments where it looks real bad, I didn't plan for this. I didn't study for the test. I'm not ready for it. I didn't work out for this, but I know God will be gracious and I'll be able to get through it somehow. On my own strength, I'll make it work. It's important here to look at the end of Samson's life as a warning for all of us. Samson's life ends with his eyes gouged out, chained to the columns of a coliseum while thousands of his enemies jeer and mock and laugh at him. It ends with one final move of God's gracious power in Samson. He pulls the columns down. The Colosseum collapses, killing thousands of his enemies. As a child, I remember this story being taught as Samson's final triumph. And I remember even people saying, and in that moment, he killed more Philistines in that moment than he ever had in the rest of his life. And we miss that this is a tragic ending to the story of a man with incredible potential. The story of his death is a mere years or maybe even months after the story of this early wedding. It's not later on in his life. It is a quick descent in his own pride into lost potential and a tragic end. His own death humiliating and a brief moment of a little bit of God's grace and glory and a tragic end to his story. I want it. I deserve it. I can handle it. This is not just the mantra of Samson, but this is the mantra of many of us men that leads to our destruction and our downfall. The impatience of just grabbing it because we want it, the entitlement that this world owes us something, and the pride that says, I don't need the collective wisdom. I don't need help from anyone else. I can put my head down and I can do this on my own strength. This is the model of Samson, one of the most tragic figures of the Old Testament. I don't want our church, I don't want the Christian community to be filled with Samson's brief moments of glory and strength with a tragic early end. I want our church to be filled with this next example. In the New Testament, we see Jesus, the exact reverse of Samson. Samson is a weak, strong man. Jesus is the ultimate strong, weak man. A man who makes himself weak, who comes unassuming, but has intense inner strength of character and strength of spirit working through him. You see, my favorite passage I get to contrast now with Samson from Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 11, we have the ultimate example of biblical manhood, biblical male identity in Christ Jesus. Paul writes this to a church in Philippi. He says, put on this attitude. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God 
and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is our example to aspire to. In place of I want to is I desire to be obedient. I desire to be obedient to what God has called of me, to what the community is calling me to, to be obedient to the pattern that Jesus Christ himself has set. One scholar says the death and resurrection of Jesus isn't any work of Jesus other than obedience. Jesus doesn't resurrect himself, the Father resurrects him. Jesus doesn't transform life into death, the Father does it through him. And what Jesus does dramatically and throughout the resurrection story is he obediently dies. And this is the call of being a biblical man. If we read Ephesians 5 and we read the story of man and woman together, the first call is for the man to love the woman and lay down his life as Christ lays down his life for the church. A biblical model of manhood is a biblical model of laying down our desires out of an obedience to die to self to serve others around us. This is the model that Christ gives us. He steps down out of heaven is obedient to his own suffering and humbles himself in order to serve us. Number two we see in this passage, instead of I deserve this and a sense of entitlement, is the humility to say, I deserve death. I deserve death for my sin. I deserve death for my obedience. I deserve death for my brokenness. And every good thing that God gives me in this world is a gracious, loving, joy-filled, gift that I get to have because of his grace and goodness. To live not in entitlement, but in humility and to see the world as the gift that it is. And third and final, I can handle nothing but for the grace of Jesus in my life. This is the core and this is what drives us and this is what defines biblical masculinity, whether it's from Abraham to David to Jesus and Paul and Peter and all the saints from then to today is the model that says, I can't do anything without the presence of God moving and working in my life. I am grateful that I have had so many examples of biblical masculinity, that I've had a great father who prioritized his family and church presence and Bible study in our lives. I had a great grandfather who did the same, that I've had biblical men in my life who are both living today and have passed on into eternity who have taught me obedience and humility and to trust in the presence of God. In Ephesians 5, as it talks about the role of men and women, this passage has been used, I think, uh, erroneously and destructively throughout the last hundred years. At the core of it is an understanding that one of the differences between men and women is that men go first. Not meaning that men lead with an iron fist, but that men are designed by God to take the first step. And what I wanna challenge you men with is to take the first step in spiritual obedience, pressing into the presence of Jesus Christ. 
to take the first step in worship with hands raised in surrender, calling out to God and inviting him to transform you, to take the first step in your relationships, your marriage, your parenting, your friendship, to confess your sins and weakness to another, to ask forgiveness quickly and to give it quickly to lead by example and taking the first step of study of scripture and allowing your children to see you in the early mornings studying and wrestling with God's word, to see you in the evenings leading in prayer over meals and with your family and seeking God together, to take the first step in laying down your life humbly and trusting the presence of Jesus in you. We have seen the abuse of classic toxic men leading and controlling and using their power for their own self-aggrandizement. How can we reverse this curse? How do we reverse this sin pattern? By becoming men who submit their lives in the way that Jesus Christ submitted himself. Death to self and obedience to what Christ has called us to become loving, merciful, vulnerable agents of God's love in this world. I want to give an opportunity, if you're watching this today, if you're a man or a woman, and in this moment you are saying, I don't know this Jesus. I don't know him personally. I don't have a relationship with him. I want to give you an opportunity, just take one step, offer one prayer that begins the journey of transformation in your eternity and in your life in the present. If you'll pray this prayer with me. Jesus, I want to know you in this moment. I want to know you as a friend, as a savior, as a king, and as my God. Jesus, today I pray this prayer that I believe that you lived on this earth as God and man, that you died on the cross for my sin and my shame. You died in my place. I deserve death, but you died instead. I believe that you were buried in the ground On the third day, you rose from the grave, resurrected for eternal life and eternal glory, and that by your resurrection, I one day will be resurrected, and I today can begin to be resurrected to newness and new life in you, Jesus. You gave your life for me. Today, I commit my life to follow you. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. And amen. If you prayed that for the first time today, I encourage you to click one of the links around this video. Let us know. We would love to celebrate with you. Happy Father's Day. We are grateful for all of the men who serve inside of the church. Go and celebrate and have a great time today. We are grateful for you. Thank you and go in the name of Jesus Christ.